0: Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at PainesvilleAG.com. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I get the privilege of introducing our very special guest this morning. They're going to bless us with God's word. And... Uh, This is the Bob Stetz family, and uh, I'm sure he's going to personally introduce all of the gang, Uh, but Aaron's his wife, and Annika and Josiah are, they're gorgeous and great kids, and um, they spent two, first two years in southern Germany, They, they learned language, the society, the church climate, and yet at that same time, God was leading them into a strategic relationship with pastors and people in Switzerland. And I was in Switzerland clear back in 1994. And even back then, it was a dark place. Pentecostals and Charismatics were considered cults. <laughs> Beautiful churches and cathedrals are gorgeous and empty. And so many spiritually dead. And yet, even back then, there were, there were um, churches that were bringing new life back into those cathedrals. And so I'm not going to steal the thunder, but um, they're back here stateside, and they are building up with prayers and financial support and people power and getting the church behind them. When they return to Switzerland, they're going to be planting churches and partnering with the Swiss Pentecostal Mission, and in very particular areas of what is a very dark part of Switzerland. So, with no further ado, I would like to welcome to the platform, Mr. Bob Statz.
1: Good
2: morning, liebe Gemeinde. Good morning, church. Wir sind Familie Stetz. We are the Stadts family. Missionare in der Schweiz. Missionaries to Switzerland. Ich bin Annika. She is Annika. Das ist mein Papa Bob. That's my dad Bob. Das ist meine Mama Erin. That's my mom Erin. Und das ist mein Bruder Josiah. And I am Josiah. Gott segnet euch. God bless you.
1: Nur in dir leben wir. Du erhältst uns Dunkel und du heilst tief in uns diese wrocknen Herzen. Groß bist du, non dear ones shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, praise. core
2: Okay, before I get into this, I, I want to just say something the Lord was placing on my heart. Um, we sang that you are good in service there. Beautiful song there. And we just sang you are great. Um, these, are, these are two different, a couple different phrases that God's really been placing in my heart to really get deep in me. Um, the, the one with you are good. You are good, there's a tagline to it. You're good, so I don't need to get my satisfaction anywhere else. And this, this was the sin that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. She didn't believe that God was good, so she had to get her satisfaction. She had to get something from somewhere else. because she Not because she sinned, she, there was a belief issue there. She didn't believe that God was good, so she had to get her satisfaction somewhere else. And then with God is great, I love this one, God is great so I don't have to be in control. God is great so I don't have to be in control. That helps a whole lot on the highway when people cut in front of you and you feel like, I need to tell this person that they are wrong in the way they are driving. No, God is great so you don't have to be in control. And I know probably all of you, like, Y- y- uh, never mind, I don't want to talk about how terrible of a husband I am, but there are times when I feel like I should correct my wife and let her know. <laughs> let her know that she needs to be corrected and, and, and the way that she is acting is not right. Well, I can't control her very well, I can't control myself. So, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. And besides, she's perfect anyway, so there's really nothing I can do. Anyway. So it's like, it's, it's a rough situation. Okay, that was free. That was not a part of what I was going to share. But I, I pray that somebody just wrote that down because that has helped me so many times. It's, sin is not the problem. Belief is the problem. When we believe wrong about the Lord, then we end up, you know, God is good, so I don't have to get my satisfaction anywhere else. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Those two right there. Okay, we're going to move on. Thank you so much for letting us be here today. This is, this is a beautiful church. And, and not just the building itself, but you all. You all are just beautiful people. Um, it's nice to be able to preach to beautiful people, you know? Like instead of. Sorry, I'm just, just kidding. Um, we are, yeah, we're the Stets family. We're from the west side of Cleveland, about 20 minutes on the other side of Cleveland. So it's nice to not have to drive real far today and be able to just enjoy uh, being here. And Pastor Steve did a great job introing sort of what it looks like in Switzerland there, but um, um, instead of giving you pictures, because those pictures would just make you think, "Oh, you poor suffering missionary in the beautiful Alps of Switzerland, um, eating chocolate and cheese." We're we're just not going to go there. We're going to talk more about actually the spiritual climate there. Um, so Switzerland is not your normal missions field. They have heard about God for millennia. They don't have really any needs like food and water or clothing. There's no orphanages that we can help in or something like that. It's not your normal missions field. But these people have been given a Christianity without Christ. And for years they have been given this and has left them with a dead religion that at its worst has fueled wars. And, and, uh, and corrupt political leadership that has just caused devastation. And the people there of Switzerland now look up and say, um, Jesus, yeah, been there, done that, and there are the scars on my family tree to show it. I want nothing to do with that. But we believe that God has something new and special for them. I don't believe that they have ever really received the love, the message of the, of the love of Christ, of the cross really what that means to them i don't i don't believe as a nation they've ever really received that and so that is our desire to go there we believe that jesus is the one who changes people's lives and and he doesn't just do it for eternity he does it for right now right here and now the good news is for right here and now and that's what we want to take to them um for the yeah for the last two years we spent time there in Switzerland and Germany learning the language and the culture developing relationships and we uh, also were building relationships with the Swiss Pentecostal church there um, and and there we met a friend named Matthias. he's a pastor in, in the mountains of Switzerland and um, he asked me the one day when we met he said okay so why are why is a an American missionary here in Switzerland, what are you doing here? We were asking the same question. And you might be asking the same question too. See, we knew that God had called us there. That, that was not, there's no doubt there. I don't have the time to get into the head story, but we knew that God had called us there. We had begun to see the needs, especially in the church, and see the needs in the people just walking around through cities. We, we saw that there was such a great need. We, we just didn't know what, how, why it would all work out. And so when, when Pastor Matias asked me that question, I said, hey, I know we're called here. I, I really just don't know why. I don't know what that's supposed to look like. That's when he got a smile on his face and responded. And he said, oh, I I know why you're here. See, my wife and I have been praying for missionaries to come and help us plant churches. So sorry, you're here because of us. Now, There's so much that came together in that moment. And and, and sort of to to narrow it down, God has called us to partner with the Swiss Pentecostal mission, the Swiss Pentecostal uh, churches over there in, in Switzerland, to plant churches where they don't exist. Um, with less than, well, with 3% of the people claiming Jesus is Lord over there, 3%, that means that 97% are not, there's so many places where the church does not exist. And so what God has called us to do is to plant churches in small towns and what they'll probably look like is home churches. These places where the church it does not exist. And like Pastor Steve said, maybe there's a beautiful cathedral there But the body of Christ, the gospel-centered group of people who are living out their faith for Jesus are not present there. We believe that God wants to plant those churches, those home churches, and network them together so that they can do together what they can't do on their own. Now, we can't do this on our own either. There's no way. It's a country of eight and a half million people. There's no way that we can reach them on our own. We need your help. And so there's a couple prayer requests, a few prayer requests that I'd like to put up on the screen. And if any one of them sort of tugs on your heart, we, we please be praying for us there. So for, first, and this is just a huge one, that God would open up the Swiss to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. That he would just open up their eyes to, to what Jesus really did. Not what they've heard through history, but what, what he's really done. Would you pray that home churches would be established even now? There's, I was just talking to to Matthias a couple days ago on the phone, and they're they're doing this, they're doing this already in a, a valley that's close by, they're bringing some house churches together, gathering them together. And would you pray that he continues to do that? There's so much work that needs to be done, but I know that it can be going on right now. Pray that we would get back there soon. Right now, there are no American Assemblies of God missionaries in Switzerland. And and would you just pray that we would get back there soon? There's another team out in Oregon. They're trying to get there too, but they're running into some rough stuff. Pray that God get people back over there. Um, And there's a visa situation too. I don't think I put that on there because it really just happened. We found out that our visa situation to live there is really difficult. You think of people having issues, you know, with visas, I don't know, in China or something like that. Well, it's it's the same deal here. Um, God needs to do a miracle here. Um, And then um, pray how you can partner with us financially as well. Um, Switzerland is not a cheap country to live in, and so finances are a big deal on this one. So if you could pray in those ways. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for letting us spend some time sharing our hearts about this. God has called us to be a spark in Switzerland. A, a sort of this idea of, of lighting a country on fire for Jesus. One heart at a time. And gathering those people together into communities where they can burn bright for Jesus. Um, I, I want to share another prayer request that's, that I believe that is yeah, sort of, I don't know, a prophetic kind of prayer request that God shared with us about a year ago. Um, but a year ago, there was a group of guys and I, that we were traveling through Switzerland and we were going to different places where either the church was not yet established or where there was a pastor and we wanted to find out, like, what are the needs here? What's going on? What's the spiritual climate? And so one of those towns we went to we went to the train station at about noon. Now the train station is still the center of a lot of these cities. And so when we went there, it was noon and there was a lot of people there. And we just sat down, um, sort of in the middle of them, and just started praying, the five of us. And I felt like, as my friend was praying, I felt like God said, I want you to pick your head up and I want you to tell me what you see around you. And so I sort of started to report to God what i saw i so i saw young people i saw um attractive people i saw people that were well dressed right europeans like well dressed nice shoes that kind of thing they looked healthy and i started to get pretty discouraged at about this point because as a minister, I was a pastor in North Ridgeville for 11 years. And so from that point of view, a minister is supposed to like minister to people, right? You, give, you go and pray with them at the hospital or you encourage them, that kind of thing. And so was, God, what, and how can I minister to these people? What can I give them? They already have everything. And God said, keep on, keep on reporting. You're not done yet. And so I kept reporting. And about that time, uh, they started to light up. They started to smoke. One by one, they're just a whole bunch of them. And now over in Europe, smoking is, is a lot. People do that a lot more. Um, and this is not a rail on smoking. Like, you already know it's terrible for you, so I'm not going to say anything that's going to help you out from up here. But this is just something that I sort of interpreted. Maybe it's just my judgmental nature. I don't know. But when I saw them, that health didn't look so healthy anymore. That... Attractiveness didn't look so attractive anymore, right? Because I knew what they were breathing in the inside and, and saw what was going on on the inside there. You know, they're robbing their body of oxygen. And, and that's when God spoke. He said, um, I see this all over Switzerland. I see beauty on the outside, but death on the inside. And, I, and he told me, I want you to pray that these people would be miserable. Strange prayer. <laughs> Pray that these people be miserable until I can transform the inside to match the beauty of the outside. Now, Like I said, I'm a minister. That's a weird prayer for me. I don't usually pray for the people in my church to be miserable. And I don't think that your pastor does either. But maybe he does. You might want to ask him about that. But it's, it's something that was really strange for me to pray. So a couple of weeks later, I was reading in Scripture and I came across Isaiah 19.22. And Isaiah 19 is a prophecy against the country of Egypt. And God is saying, you know, that all this stuff's going to happen to Egypt. But it's actually not just a prophecy against, but it's a prophecy for Egypt as well. Because in 1922, he says, I'm going to strike the nation of Egypt. He doesn't just stop there, though. He says, I'm going to strike and heal them. I don't know about you, but usually in my language, in, in a sentence that I would formulate, strike and heal don't go in the same sentence together. It's just weird, right? Like, I think, uh, you know, strike, wham, you know, they're on the ground, and then, oh, let me heal you. Like, that's, that's just sort of, um, is that schizophrenic or what? You know, that's just sort of, like, that doesn't go together at all. But we're talking about God here, and God does things different than we do, Right? He does things different than we do. Tim Keller likes to say that when the gospel hits a person, it comes in two waves. The first wave, when the gospel hits a person, is, wow, I never knew I was so awful, wretched, pitiful, poor, that I've got nothing in the light of an almighty God. That's the first wave that hits a person when the gospel hits them. And then right after it, Just right after is. But I never knew how loved and accepted I actually am, though. That I'm more loved and accepted than I could have ever hoped. And that's when I see the striking and healing happen. I see that a person is hit with the reality of who they actually are in light of a holy, awesome, mighty God who created everything. And and while they're struck laying on the ground saying, oh, there's no hope for me whatsoever, God comes in and the Holy Spirit speaks and says, but you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dream. And that's what we're praying for, for Switzerland. That they would be brought out of the, the comfort of their wealth, that fortified city around them, and that they would be brought and drawn out to see, whoa, this is how it really is? I need a savior. So if you could be praying for us, that God would strike the country of Switzerland, that he would strike and heal them. That would be a wonderful partnership with us in that. Strange prayer. But I've asked some of my friends over there in Switzerland if it's okay if we pray that way, and they said, that's okay, so... Um, oh, before, before I go on, after service, we have a table out in the back. There's a newsletter sign-up sheet there. We send out an email newsletter once a month. If you want to be involved in that, we would love it. Uh, sometimes people write us back after we've sent that. And, and just a, a quick little, hey, we're praying for you. And then we can say, hey, how can we pray for you? And it's, just, it's fun to keep that relationship alive that way. So that's out there. And also some different things, like uh, well, guys down here that picked up a... Um, a bookmark. And it's just different ways you can pray for all of Europe. Uh, some specific needs that are going on there. And some, some different things. So yeah, if you want to see us after that, that would be great. Um, I want to get into um, Acts chapter 10 today. So if you want to turn there. I'm going to jump into this. Now, um, uh, John down here told me that um, I can preach as long as I want. But you guys are going to be leaving it too. So, um, you know... We just want to make sure, wait, was it 2? or tw- It's 12. Tw- it was 12, he said. I'm sorry. So, okay, I guess you guys are leaving at 12. But, um, um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to go on forever and ever. But I really want to talk to you from Acts chapter 10 today. And before we get there, let's. I sort of just want to talk about where I've sort of come from. Um, I... I uh, so, Christian kid, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, at the age of five, I started going to a elementary school that was at the church. Uh, six days a week, I found myself in the same church building. Uh, then when I was about, you know, in the seventh grade, ended up going out to middle school, public middle school and high school. Never really fit in with anybody there. Uh, never really got close to anyone there because it's like, these are the people that you really shouldn't be hanging out with so I I hung out a lot with the kids in the youth group and that's where I really felt at home and and then uh, going to to college at a Christian university after that I spent one year over in Europe but then came back to America and got hired in on a church and so I was on staff there and whoo I was in the church a whole lot and and very little time for people that were outside of the church just being honest yeah we would get to know our neighbors there but it, it was not in a, a real close way we, we just didn't get to really i mean we, you know we would talk to them for sure and help them out with some things but it was very limited compared to the amount of time that i spent with with christians um see so here okay then, then we got to to europe and it was a little bit easier because it was harder to find, harder to find christians to hang out with um I don't know if you can see this from back there, um, but this, uh, this sort of represents, I don't know if you can see the white and the red beads there, way back there. I can like, just sort of run around the room and show it to you. Um, but this, 25% of the people in America would say that they're uh, a born-again Christian. That they are, that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that, they, that, that he is alive in them, making them a new creation. And So that would represent the white beads in here. Um, a, lot, a lot of work to go, right? There's a, there's a lot of red in there still. But you see that it, it's easier, I mean, it's, it's... Okay, like the distance to get from a red to a white... There's maybe, you know, a friend of a friend or something that's a Christian, if they don't have a friend that's a Christian. So over there in Switzerland, it's more like this, where it's 3% that are born-again Christians. So it takes a lot more to get from the red to the white. There's a lot of people who don't have a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who's actually a Christian. how, How would they ever hear at all about what it really means to follow Christ? So, getting over there to, to Europe, we found some more ways that were easy to, to get a, around non Christians. Uh, for one, I wasn't on staff at a church 50 hours a week. I, did, I mean, I, honestly, when we first got over there, I was like, what in the world do I do? I'm um, just, yeah, just being honest there. What in the world do I do? I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture, nobody really cares what I have to say. Uh, so, that, that took a while. And so we found different ways to get involved. So we had to go to language school. And when we were around language school, man, we were with people. We'd be in like a group of 10, 12 people at a time. We'd go to school four days a week. And um, we would be around them. and, And, okay, so let's say there's 12 people in our group there in the language school. There'd be 12 nations represented among those 12 people there trying to learn German there. It was It was incredible and and the different perspectives and different thoughts about life and Christianity were amazing actually our teacher she was uh, she was studying philosophy she was getting her doctorate and she was writing her thesis on Nietzsche and and so she was she's an atheist like she didn't believe in god and she was also a lesbian and so it was really interesting getting to know her and her thoughts about things and actually um, the first time that I got to speak and, and preach in German, I needed a whole lot of help translating that sucker. So I wrote it out in English, word for word, and I asked my teacher if she could translate it for me. So that was sort of fun. Um, just getting her walking through that. You, you know, it, there was no hostility at all. I mean, it was, but it, they were good conversations. It was wonderful. Um, but I failed because i didn 't invite her to hear me give the sermon it 's just like, ah oh man, I really messed that up because i wasn 't really used to being around non Christians. Um, I got to join a volleyball team, and on that volleyball team, uh, we would play once a week and with people from just the town there and All sorts of different thoughts and beliefs coming out of there. My one friend, Peter, he's an atheist. And for him, it blew his mind away that I was a guy that actually believed that God existed. He had friends that were pastors. And he said, okay, i got friends that are pastors and they, they don't believe. This is really weird that you're a pastor that actually believes. What? Wait, what? There's pastors that don't believe? Yeah, there's pastors over there that it's totally a, a humanistic kind of message that they give week in and week out. The cross has nothing to do with it because they don't believe that God actually exists. And Peter knew this. So, so he was really drilling me. He was like, you really believe this? No, seriously. It was fun getting around non-Christians. But for so much of my life, I wasn't around them. And I wonder if that's where some of you find yourself as well. I'm really good at getting around church people and Christian people, but trying to actually get around people who don't know Jesus, that's just hard. I'm right there with you. Right there with you. And And I want to talk about this today because I think Peter was the same exact way. But he would say that he was around Jews all the time and never around Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 10, what we see here. Um, we see a a man who who, let's let's just go through Peter's life a bit you know grew up a good Jewish boy he he probably could recite the first five books of the Old Testament and that wasn't even good enough for him to be able to hang out with the rabbi so Jesus comes along and, and grabs this reject fisherman and says come on I'll make you a fisher of men they go and they spend most of their time ministering to Jewish people and there's there one time when they go over and then they meet they see that woman in the well and a woman not, she's not in the well she's at the well and Jesus is is speaking to her and and Jesus says uh, you know he's he's having a great conversation with him and the disciples aren't there and when the disciples come back they're like uh, Jesus you're talking with somebody who's not a Jewish person and she's a woman don't know if you realize that but you should not be doing that at all that's that's Peter. That, that's, what, that's his world. Uh, Jesus dies, raises from the dead. Uh, he, he ascends up into heaven. The Holy Spirit falls. And then we have sort of the beginning of the early church in, in Acts there. And, but the early church is not to the Gentiles, to the people outside of Judaism. It's only to Jews. And that's where we're at in Acts chapter 10. So in the beginning of Acts chapter 10, we see this guy, Cornelius. He's a centurion in the Roman army and and military, and he's in charge of people, but he prays. He's a guy who I don't know how we found out about the living God, and he wasn't worshiping all of the many deities that Romans would normally worship. He's worshiping the one true God, and an angel visits him and says, Hey, Cornelius. Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been seen by God and we want to give you an amazing gift. So I want you to send some people to Joppa by the sea and ask for this guy named Simon or Peter or whatever he says there. And so these guys are on their way and go there and that's where we pick up this the story here in Acts chapter 10. So I'm going to read it and you can follow along. Now you've been sitting for a little while and if if you would feel like it, I'd love to have you stand in honor of God's word as I read this. Um, if you're you're not cool with standing, if you're like, hey, my knees are shot and I've been standing all week, that's fine. That's okay. But I think it's it's, it's a good thing to, to stand in honor of God's word and it wakes you up a little bit. So that's always good. Okay, so we're, we're going to start there. Um, at, at Acts chapter 10, 9, you can just follow along in your Bible or up on the screen there. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, you know, these guys coming from Joppa and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. Have you, ever, have you heard the term hangry? We use that for my son a lot. My son gets hangry. And we're getting close to that time, about noon, where he starts to just lose it because he's getting hungry. And I don't know if Peter was there, but I think it's notable to to say he's getting hungry. Um, And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Remember, good Jewish boy, very strict eating restrictions uh, there on his on his life and his whole life. In verse thirteen, then the voice told him, "Get up, Peter, kill and eat." Let me go here. Peter responded as a good Jewish boy should. Surely not, Lord," replied Peter. "I have not eaten anything impure or unclean." The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now this happened how many times? Three times. Anything else happened to Peter in his life? Three times. All right. It seems like Peter was a little hard-headed, but hey, aren't we all at times? This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, like, what in the world was that? The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, or Peter's house, and stopped at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, because he still didn't understand what this meant, He still didn't know what to do with this vision that he saw, and it happened three times, so it must mean something. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Can we say that together? So get up and go downstairs. Let's try that one more time. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, Hey, I'm the one you're looking for. Why are you here? Still have no idea what this vision means. And then the men replied, We've come from Cornelius the centurion. Is this guy a good Jewish boy? Centurion man is not a good Jewish boy. And these guys say, though, he is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Weird. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. It was against the law for Jewish people to go into um, non-Jewish people's homes. That was against the law, but what are they saying? Come to his house so he can hear what you have to say. Over and over, I can just, just see Peter like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. No, I can't do this, No. And Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. I think we're just going to stop right there. God still speaks to us today, amen? The Holy Spirit is speaking to us today, and he wants to speak to you right now. And I want to pray that he does that. Holy Spirit, Fill this room just as you already have. There's no reason for me to invite you here. You've been here long before we were. But Lord, we open up our, our, our hearts, open up our minds to what you want to do today. Speak to us, Lord. Can you just say that to him? Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for standing with me for a little bit there. Okay, so let's finish this story here. Let's, I'll just, just sort of summarize and wrap it up here for us. So Peter goes with these guys to the centurion's house, to Cornelius' house, and the whole family is there. The whole family, the extended family, I would assume like servants, slaves, everybody is there hanging out at Cornelius' house, and Peter actually goes into his house. Totally off off script here. This is not how things are supposed to go. And then Peter shares the gospel, his testimony, not of what somebody told him sometime, but what he saw. He saw Jesus killed. He saw Jesus risen from the dead. He saw Jesus rise up into heaven before his very eyes. And, and wouldn't you know it, but these Gentile dogs don't just receive salvation that day. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit, start speaking in tongues, craziness happening there, and Peter doesn't even pray for them to have, I and mean, We don't see that he prays for them here. He's just telling them about what Jesus has done, and wham, the Holy Spirit hits the house. <laughs> and Peter's scratching his head like, what is going on? And up until this point, Peter had only been around Jews and now God's opening this up to him. Whole new group of people. Totally blowing his mind. Totally blowing what he thought, how he thought things should go. And, and, and we as, as Christians here today, a lot of times it can be that same sort of thing. And it's not by purpose. It just sort of happens. Where we spend most of our time, quality time, most of our investment of time is only around Christians, and I believe that God wants it to be done a different way. I I, be, I believe that when the Great Commission was put out there, it starts off with therefore. Therefore, go. I love it so much that in in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, it doesn't say, therefore, go and make converts of everybody. Just get them saved and then just leave. Like, it doesn't even matter what happens to them afterwards. Just get them saved, get them in the door, and they're going to be fine. No. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. Disciples, a whole different ball of wax. Disciples is walking with someone from like no knowledge of God at all, all the way through to salvation to them becoming fully, fully matured into Christ and who Christ is in them. And that's only gonna happen on the day that they die because we will never arrive there while we're here on this earth. This is a, a lifelong journey that God has called us to walk with people in to their life's end, discipleship. And that's what God has for us to do. So just like, just like when that sheet was let down and Peter had no idea what that vision meant with all these animals running around on this sheet and like snakes littering off and like whatever. What in the world does that mean? He had, he had really no idea what was going on there. But the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there's some guys downstairs and I want you to just walk down the stairs. After that, he wasn't given any further instruction. He just walk down the stairs, go with them. you'll figure it out. What does it look like for you to walk down the stairs today? What does that look like for you? Maybe something that God has already been putting on your heart. What does it look like for you? Just like Peter. No idea what it looks like in front of this, but my next step is to just go down the stairs. I don't know. I don't know where that's going to lead, but... I'm just going to walk down there and, and, and see what happens because God is great. I don't have to be in control, right? He, he, he's going to direct and lead my way there. I read a stat this week uh, that sort of blew me away. It said that 47% of millennial Christians, millennial Christians, so the what would that be? Like 30-somethings, 20-somethings? millennials that are Christians they think that it's sort of wrong to tell people about their faith in hopes of them becoming what they are. Let me say that again. 47% of millennial Christians believe that it is wrong to share their faith with other people in hopes of that person becoming like them in their faith. Half of the church, between thirty, around thirty and twenty, those those ages, thirties and twenties, is starting to think. You know what? Their worldview is just as valid as mine. They've they've got just as much uh, truth as, as as I do. Who am I to say that my truth is better than their truth? Because it's all relative, right? Like your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and like it doesn't. That's what's going on right now. Instead of Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way. That, 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 that's the truth there. Whether, whether we want to agree with it or not, that's the universal truth that God has established that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Whether we agree with it or not. But this, this is getting to a scary place here where if, if, if these people don't even believe that it's right to go out there and tell people about Jesus... Well, what about the people that do believe that it's good, but they're not doing it? Church is in a rough spot. But I tell you what, if, if people grab on a, a hold of this and they say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to walk down the steps into what you have for me. I don't know what it looks like, but I know I need to get somehow around non-believers and start discipling. Well... Then our church just doubled if, 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 if one person, if everybody takes on one person. You know, Ohio for Jesus, right? Like that, that, that's, that blows it off the, the roof right there. Just if everybody in the church would say, you know what, I'm going to take one person under my wing and we're going to help them walk from unbelief in Jesus to belief in Jesus in every area of their life. And it's going to be slow. It's going to take a long time, but I am committed to this person. That's. That's what discipleship is. Walking with somebody from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of their life. Okay, I, um, I, I, have, to, I have to share the gospel message. I can't, pre- I can't preach this message about the gospel being brought to the Gentile world, which, by the way, if this hadn't happened in Acts chapter 10, Peter hadn't got this, this vision, we might not be here at all. Because I don't know about you, but I am not Jewish whatsoever. My nose might tell you otherwise, but I am not Jewish whatsoever. (laughs) I had no shot at hearing about the gospel without this happening here. And I believe that God wants to speak to somebody today about something crazy off the wall that sounds ridiculous about how to reach people for Jesus and how to get into relationship with them. But I need to talk about the gospel, what it is. So so what does Peter share with these people that totally opens them up to this whole new world? So in Acts chapter 10, verse 39 and 41, this is just a few verses after this. this This is the gospel message that Peter shares with Cornelius and his household. Verse 39 through 41. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him, Jesus, on a cross. But God raised him from the dead and on the third day he caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. Witnesses here. And by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. That is so cool that he puts that in there. Because people could say, well, it's just a ghost. It was just a ghost that you saw. It wasn't really, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't really somebody being raised from the dead. No, ghosts don't eat like if they, you know, they would just fall right out. Like he ate with them and drank with them. And yet at the same time, he could sort of like walk through walls. It's like, I don't have any category for that. Just that God did something incredible by bringing life into a a dead man. And Peter says, we are witnesses of this. Like, I saw this happen. I walked with him for three years, and then they took him, and they crucified him, and then he rose from the dead. I saw this with my own eyes. Now, these guys died for what they saw. They didn't... They didn't die for their faith, the disciples, the apostles, these 500 people who, who saw Jesus rise from the dead there in, in 1 Corinthians 15. These 500 people, they saw Jesus, and what did they get for it? Persecution and death. There was nothing in it for them at all, except for being hung upside down for Peter, except for being burned in hot oil. Like John, being burned at the stake—you name it. These guys died for it because they wouldn't squeal. If you've been like a like in high school or something, you pull a prank, or maybe you you're, there's a group of you your friends and you you do this thing, or maybe you cheat or something, something and you get called into the office, and there's a group of you, and somebody. Is gonna squeal when the pressure is put on there and say, "Yeah, that didn't really happen that way. Um, we did cheat. I'm so sorry, but please." And that's for getting like expelled for three days. Ooh, I can't go to school for three days. You know. But there, people are gonna squeal when that happens. But but when death is on the line and torture is put on the line, I'm gonna squeal if if I if it really didn't happen the way it did. But these guys didn't. These guys were witnesses. And the early church believed that as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer that person you used to be before because Jesus died and rose from the dead and you will die and raise from the dead. A better creation. Come come on, somebody's got to catch me on that one, please. Better creation? No, that's Oprah Christianity. You are a new creation. Jesus didn't come so that you could be a better person but a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message, and maybe you want that today. Maybe you say, my my life, train wreck. I don't want it anymore. I'm done with it. (laughs) When Jesus says you gotta deny yourself and pick up the cross and follow, hey, my life is a train wreck. I don't want it anymore, so I'll deny that and pick up anything. Maybe that's you today. or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. If I could have the worship team, if you guys could come on up. Um, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you've been having a hard time getting around Christians. Today is not about condemnation. Today is about hope that the Holy Spirit speaks, and He shows us how to do what He's called us to do. That great commission is for you and me. To go into all the world and make disciples. It's and okay, my wife and I, yeah, we're, we're going over there. My kids and I are going to go over to Switzerland. Okay, great. The, the, the chances of us being effective over there in a country that is not our own, in a culture that is not our own, I'm telling you, it's not really good. The Holy Spirit better be behind it. But you all know the language, you know the culture, you're around people. Speak life. Listen to the Holy Spirit. What does it look like for you to walk down the stairs? What does it, look, does, does it look like just befriending that person that you see and you, you don't really know them and you're not really sure where that's going to go? What's he saying to you today? <laughs> does, it, does it look like going to a different country? I don't know. I got a friend over there in Switzerland right now that says, I need somebody to help me plan a church. I don't have anybody. And that's all over the world. What, what, what does it look like for you to I don't have the 20-year plan. I really don't know where this is going. But I want what God has for me. I I, I would love it if the team could just play real quietly for just a couple minutes. I want to just take a moment and just listen. And just breathe in and out. Say, Lord, what do you have to say? Just, Lord, what do you have to say to me? If we could just take a couple minutes in that and worship team, if you want to lead us in a chorus or something after that, and just, something that I've started doing a lot lately is just a, a, a prayer that I pray throughout the day. And I say, thank you, Lord, for speaking to me. Is there anything that you want to say right now? First of all, by saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me. Sometimes we get to that point where we're like, God never speaks to me. He never speaks. I never hear him at all. Well, that's not really a good place to start when you're trying to hear from the Lord, okay? But if you thank him You thank him. God, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for speaking to me. Is there anything you have to say to me right now? Maybe that's the prayer you have today. So let's just take a couple minutes.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.